Yeah, they worked hard, put in a lot of hours, get here real early, and I just appreciate you guys a lot, so good job. And he helped me move a little bit yesterday, so I made him work in the snow. It was dumb. Anyway, hey, those of you I haven't met before, my name is Devin Meacham. I am one of the elders here, and I'm excited that you're here. I'm glad you braved the terrible roads to get here with me today. Uh, I love this place. Uh, I love the people here. I love this church. Uh, this church has been a huge part of my life uh, for a long time. And I just, I love getting to be with you in this capacity today. Uh, Richie and Katie and their girls, Faith and Ruby, are down in Arizona right now uh, for a soccer tournament, and they picked a great time to go, uh, if you ask me. I kind of hope that they come back with at least a little bit of a sunburn, but, you know, I won't wish that on them anyway. But so you guys are stuck with me for the next 30 minutes. I know I've got a face for radio. You're just going to have to put up with it for just a little bit, but we'll get through this and we're going to have a good time. So... I'm excited to start off our new series. We are diving into the Christmas season. December 1st is officially, I think it's officially Christmas tree day. So, and talking through the halls of my office, we've got people who have had their Christmas trees up since like mid-November for whatever reason. And then we've got people that put them up on Christmas Eve. You know, it's just whatever family tradition, but it's, it's, it's Christmas time. And there's a bustle, there's busy, it's, it's all around the place, and, uh, and I'm excited. So we're going to spend the next four weeks in our Christmas series, Peace on Earth. And our team has actually done an amazing job of creating a devotional that goes based off of each week's sermon series. You can grab one of these on your way out today. Make sure you get one. They've worked hard on it, and it's, uh, it's good stuff. If you're in a connect group, then uh, they've got some good connect group questions in there. If you're not in a connect group, you should be, and uh, then you can ask those questions. So anyway, so we're going to be together for the next few weeks diving into uh, this series. You know, one of the most quoted Bible verses around this time of year is Luke 2.14. It's glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Um, I mean, it's on, it's on the cover of this. It's our sermon series title for the year. How many of you have seen that anywhere else already in the last week or heard it on the radio? Nobody. Okay, well, this might be a long day. So, okay, Eric has. Thank you. Oh, I didn't see you, Mark. I'm sorry. And Mark has too. So it's everywhere. It's on billboards. It's on every social media potential influencers posts right now. It's uh, your grandma stitched it on a pillow for you, or you did. I'm not judging, but maybe you did. Um, and but it's everywhere. And if you're anything like me, uh, this time of year is hardly peaceful. I mean, we've got holiday decorations to do. We've got. Uh, holiday plans. Okay, whose parents are we going to first? And we've got to make sure we get everybody in that way. No one gets their feelings hurt, you know. And then, uh, well, mom wants to see the kids. And uh, so while they're all dressed up for Christmas stuff and, you know, he has chocolate all over him, but we'll, we'll make it work. We'll get a picture. We'll be good. You've got holiday plans. You've got decorations to do. You've got food to prepare. Uh, you've got kids' Christmas concerts to get to. It just happens to dump two feet of snow outside. Just because, I mean, why not? And on top of that, you have normal life. You still got to get groceries, got to put gas in the car, got to go to work, get the kids to school for half of the month. The other half, they're home with you. God bless them. And so it's all of the above. It just, this is not a peaceful time of year. And then on top of that, you throw in politics, whatever games the economy is trying to play with our heads, and any global conflict that we have going on. Not really peaceful, but peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's on the pillow. Some of you caught that. We'll get there, guys. It's 1130. I know you guys had time to sleep in, too. Maybe it's too, we're too close to lunchtime. So I get some food. You order pizza? No? Okay. All right. 
Sorry, guys. This is my third time doing this today, and I'm, if I'm a little spacey, forgive me. Um, I also chase squirrels for fun, so it's, uh, we're going to have a good day. Um, Jesus coming to earth changed everything. He came to make peace between God and man. He came to usher in and to preach peace. Mankind for generations and generations, since the beginning of time, we've been longing and looking for peace. And Jesus brought it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be diving into a couple of key areas where Jesus specifically wants to bring peace to our hearts and our lives. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about peace in our minds. In uh, the book of Isaiah, which Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, he was around hundreds of years before Jesus, talked a lot about Jesus, uh, even though he didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. But he said in chapter 26 of the book of Isaiah, he said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. He's talking about God. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You know, I love the idea of the American dream. I love that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, where you were born, the house you grew up in, what part of town, what town, anything, you can be successful and you can succeed at anything that you set your mind to in this country. We, we live in a great country. We really do. And, you know, a good example of that is uh, there was this, there's this actor in Hollywood, a guy named Sylvester Stallone, and he was a nobody in Hollywood, and he wanted to make it big. And so he put his mind to it. He's like, do you know what? I'm going to write a story that's going to change the world. And he sat down for three days and wrote the script and story of a movie about a, an up-and-coming boxer from Philly. Three days. And the Rocky franchise is now one of the most iconic sports movie franchises in history and has netted over $1.7 billion since it came out. And they keep popping out movies. Now they're on to Creed 3, I think, or whatever. So it's, it's, but he did it. He succeeded. He set his mind to it. He was a nobody at the time. He set his mind to it, and he did it, and he succeeded. It's incredible. You can do anything that you want to do. I also will say that I despise big parts of our American dream. And here's why. If we're not careful, then constant comparison, jealousy, self-deprecation, talking ourselves down, anxiety, keeping up with the Joneses, if you're not achieving, then you're failing. I know I get sucked into that real easy. You know, the issues around money are the number one cause of divorce in our country today. About money. One question that I constantly find myself asking is, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I achieving enough? Have I gotten far enough? Am, do I live in the right neighborhood? Do I drive the right car? Are my kids going to the right school? Do I have the right number in my bank account? Do I have the right title at work? Is God really blessing me? Am I achieving enough? Now, to be fair, I'm also in commission sales, so I don't know if there's any other salespeople in the room, but commission sales is a lot like cavemen. If you're going to eat, you got to go out and kill something and drag it back in order to get paid. So there's that to, to be in mind. But I will find myself laying awake at night, stressing about what I need to get done the next day. And if I'm not careful, then this really becomes identity forming for me. Like I'll start to find who I am and start to define myself in what I'm doing. You know, years ago, not that many years ago, feels like a long time ago, I was the kids' pastor here, and some of you were on my kids' team, and we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. I had no idea what I was doing. I tried, but um, 
we were on this massive growth trajectory as a church. We moved into this building and tripled in attendance in like six months. It was insane. And of course, with six months more people, there's triple the people, there's triple the kids, and we needed triple the team. And we were just like flying, trying to keep up. It really was a lot of fun. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I didn't take a vacation for like three years, but we were achieving. We were taking ground. We were winning. All It was flashy. It was shiny. It was, it was fun. And, but I was, I was burning out, and I was starting to get arrogant about it too. So everything that I was thinking about, everything that I was dreaming about, everything that I had accomplished was all wrapped up in the job that I had. And really got to the point to where my identity was wrapped up. Not only my identity, but also my relationship with Jesus was wrapped up in the job. And I remember in January 2017, I sit down for my weekly coaching with Richie. And he says, hey, you know, uh, we're, we just, we're in a hard spot financially. And uh, we can't keep you on staff. And I got laid off. And this was devastating. It was crushing. First, I was shocked, and then I was just, I, w- I, was, I was devastated. The foundation of everything that I had built my identity around just crumbled and was gone. I didn't know what to do. I remember standing in the shower and not long after that, having one of those what the heck God conversations. I don't know if any of you ever have those. It might just be me. Okay, it's not just me. Good. Um, so I'm having one of these conversations, and I'm like, God, I thought we were going to do great things for the kingdom, and, and this kid's ministry is exploding. We've got all these other dreams that I want to do, and, and church planting. We've been planning about church planting. I was kind of wanted to plant churches in the UK. Why not? You know, and so I have all these dreams and all these visions, and everything else was going, and I just felt God stop me and say, what does your job have to do with any of that? What does what you are doing have to do with my kingdom? It was pretty humbling. Like, oh, this isn't about me. My identity was so wrapped up in what I was doing, what I was dreaming about doing, and what I had accomplished for Jesus that I completely missed a relationship with Jesus. It really rocked me. It was all about the achievement, and winning, and what's next. It's still easy for me to get sucked into that in the job I have now. There's a guy in the New Testament by the name of Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. There, a lot of them are letters that he wrote to churches. But when Paul is first introduced in the book of Acts, it's right after the Gospels. He, there's this guy named Stephen who uh, was volunteering at the church. He was, he was handing out meals, and he gets into a conversation talking about Jesus with some people, and then all of a sudden, over the course of this conversation, finds himself in front of, like, the religious leaders of the day and ultimately ends up getting stoned to death as a result of his belief in Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus being the Savior, the one that God sent to set people free. And he gets stoned to death for it. Now, Paul is introduced as his name was, he was called Saul at the time, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when he said, and they were all killing, they were all killing Stephen, and they were laying their coats at the feet of Saul, who was, he was a part of that religious, of those religious leaders, and he was approving of Stephen's death. That's how this dude gets introduced. Yeah, he's here, and he's making sure that that guy gets killed, you know? And then the next few verses are all about his devotion to destroying Jesus' church. He lived his entire life to make sure that the church did not continue. 
So he dragged people out of their homes. He put people in prison. People died as a result of his actions. It was brutal, and he was good at it. And then one day, he's on a road to a city called Damascus where he's going to go kind of keep going, doing what he's been doing. And while he's on this road, he's on this trek, he, this blinding light shows up and just knocks him to the ground. He can't see anything, and he hears this voice just cry, hey, why are you persecuting me? It's probably deeper than that, but that's, that's what I got. Sorry. He's like, why are you persecuting me? He's like, who are you? It's a valid question. He's like, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. And then these like weird scale things grew over his eyes and he couldn't see anymore. It's like a bad sci-fi movie, you know? And so he gets up and got, Jesus tells him, he's like, I want you to go into the city and I want you to stay at this house until I tell you what to do. And he couldn't really do anything. He was blind all of a sudden. So his friends lead him the rest of the way to the city and he goes to stay at this house. And while he's there, God wakes another guy up in that same city, a guy named Ananias. And he says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go over to this dude's house. Probably didn't say dude, but I want you to go over to this guy's house, and I want you to pray for Saul. I want you to go talk to Saul. And, and I can just see the look on Ananias' face. Wait, Saul, Saul? The one, who, the one who's been, like, devoted his life to destroying Jesus' church and, and throwing people in jail and people are dying and families torn apart, that's all? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are you going to do with him? He goes, oh, he's about to find out. And so he goes over to this house and he prays for Saul. And he tells Saul about Jesus. And Saul, Saul's been over there trying to figure out what's what. And Saul accepts Jesus as his savior. The scales fall off of his eyes. He can see again. And he gets up, he eats a meal, he gets baptized. And then God commissions him to be his voice to the Gentiles, everybody there who wasn't a Jew in the whole world. And so this guy goes from ultimate achiever and destroying Jesus' church to being one of the most prolific church planters that we've ever seen in history. He went around the entire known world. He would plant a church in a city. He'd build up the leadership. He'd get them going. He'd move on. He'd go and do it. Just bing, 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 all the way around the Mediterranean. And while he was doing that, he would circle back and he'd do it again. And then he would write letters back to encourage him. He would hear something going on. He's like, ah, you know, I should help him with that. And he'd write him a letter. And, you know, this is how Paul described himself in the start of one of his letters in the book of Galatians. He, he's describing himself like this. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. That's who I was. In Acts chapter 26, he's on trial and he's telling his own story. He's like, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Like I was way ahead of everybody else. I was, and he was like the shining light for the future of the, the, the religious leaders. And then Jesus showed up. Here's a man who did anything and everything he could to be the best, to achieve, and then God rocked his world. I get sucked into that too. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to be the best and to achieve. And sometimes I find myself, instead of doing it for the glory of God, it's for the glory of myself in spite of what Jesus wants to actually do through me. I want to read you... And the next book, right after Galatians, is the book of Ephesians. And this is a letter that Paul wrote. He's called Paul now. And he wrote this to the church in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. 
And this is probably one of my favorite passages in all Scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. It'll be up on the screen. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Man, if you're ever having a bad day, or feeling down on yourself, just read that. Even before he made the world, God loved me, and he chose me in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God's dream is greater than the American dream. Now, is it wrong? Is it wrong for me to want my kids to go to a good school? For them to be safe? Is it wrong for me to want our family to be healthy financially? Or to to be the best at what I do? Absolutely not. The Bible talks a lot about parenting. It talks a lot about raising kids and preparing godly kids. Deuteronomy 6 is a great chapter you can read that's all about how you do that. It's real simple. It's hard, but it's simple. I want my kids to do so much more than I've ever dreamed of because they can stand on my shoulders and they can reach so much further than I can and see things that I'll never be able to see. You know, Jesus talks about money more than any other topic out there aside from the kingdom of heaven. If you don't believe me, you can go through and you can count it up yourself. He talks about money a lot. Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs talks about money a lot, about how you, how you be wise with your money. And it's about preparing ahead, it's about or preparing for the days ahead. It's about getting out of debt or staying out of debt and just making wise choices with your money. It's all about that. Ephesians chapter 6, a little further on in the book we just read, says to work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. When I do my best, when I work hard to be the best at what I, what I do that I possibly can, that's not for accolades. That's not for me to get my name in, name in the neon lights. That's for me to worship the creator of the universe. See, where this gets skewed, though, is when I let these things define me. 
when I let this become my identity, when I let where my kids go to school define me, oh, they go there. When I let the car that I drive, when I pull into the parking garage at work, define me, I drive a Subaru, and I pass a whole bunch of Porsches, and I think there's a Land Rover in there, and uh, there's a really sweet Jag that somebody just bought. It's not mine. But do I let that define me? That's where this gets messed up. What you do, what you achieve, what you accomplish is not your identity. And it does not define you. Now, there are two other things, actually, that I want to point out. There's a lot of other things that don't define you, but there's two in particular I want to point out. So what you achieve does not define you. Another one is your failures and your mistakes do not define you. That's not your identity. God washed that all the way. It was in one of the verses in Ephesians that we just read. Made you blameless in his sight. And the other one is this, is bad things that have happened to you are not your identity. You may have some horrible things in your past that have been done to you, not your fault, some things that nobody should ever have to go through. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. It does not define you. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. I am enough. When someone asks you who you are, what do you normally tell them? Hey, who are you? Your name, right? I'm Devin. It's on my ID. It's on my passport. It's on my name tag at work. It's on the participation trophy I get because I'm not going to win, but I'll get a participation trophy. It's on all of the above. It's everywhere. People say who you are. You say, well, yeah, I'm Devin Meacham. Now, your name not only tells who you are, but also what family you're from. You don't have to earn the right to be a part of your family. You don't have to reach certain goals to be able to be called by your name. Sometimes family names and family circumstances come with a different, you know, certain connotations that you have to achieve. Like, well, no, you're, this, you're in this family. You better do this, you know, and that's a different conversation altogether. I can't imagine how it would pain God's heart, though, every time that I disqualify myself from being called part of his family as a result of my lack of understanding or what I don't think I've achieved enough or I think I have to earn his love or I have to earn a place in his family. Imagine if your kids did that. I mean, I've, I've got five kids. We're a lot of fun. We bring the party with us. And I've got four girls and a boy. And my son, Leland, he's five. He's a stud. He's a, we're rock and roll buddies right now. So he's got the face and we do the rock and roll high five and, and uh, you know, Tonka trucks and dinosaurs, everything that a five-year-old boy should be. And um, if he were to come to me and say, now, Dad, are you sure? I, I, don't, I don't know if I can be a Meacham. Well, why is that? Well, Ellie, my older sister, she's taller than me. Nora, I mean, she's got blue eyes. I have brown Emma's like super creative, and wherever the party level is, it goes to here immediately. I mean, that's just how she rolls. Tessa's just crazy. And I'm the only boy. Are you sure? How do, how do I know that I can be a Meacham? What do I need to do? What do I need to earn in order to be called by your name? Like, boy, you're my son because I said so. You're mine. You're my wee man. You're my little dude. You're my rock and roll brother. You're my son. 
You don't have to earn that. I do the same thing in my relationship with God. God, now, are you sure? Are you sure that I meet your standards? Are you sure? Now, that guy, I heard that guy on a podcast. He was smart. I don't measure up to that. That guy, I'm pretty sure, knows, like, he can quote the whole Old Testament to me. It's like, I don't even know all the books. Well, what's the first one? I don't know. That lady prays a lot. I don't pray like she does. How, I don't measure up. How, how can I be sure? I haven't achieved enough. How can I be sure that I can call myself a part of your family? And he said, because I said so. Let's read some of these verses again from Ephesians. I'm going to knock this over. I'm going to out of the way. I'm surprised I haven't done that yet today. Let's read some of these verses from Ephesians that spell out who we are, who God calls us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He calls us that. And he's called us that since before time began. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. We can find rest and peace from the striving, the desperate scraping and clawing, and the constant comparison in Jesus. Peace in our minds because he is where our identity is held. Jesus brings peace to our minds and our hearts knowing that our identity is found in him and him alone. I am enough. I am his. You are enough. You are who he wants in his family. I'm going to read that verse in Isaiah again. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We're going to do something right now that uh, is a little different, might be a little awkward, but I, I don't care. We'll do it anyway. Um, we're going to take a moment right now. We're actually going to do this each week uh, through this series. And I just want us to take a minute and just rest in that. We're just going to take a minute and let that soak in and let that sink in. And it's just going to be quiet. And you'll be sitting there and you may start getting distracting thoughts of, well, you know, what's the score, you know, and, and what's the, you know, what are we doing for lunch? And well, do I really measure up and all of the above? And just, just, I just want to challenge you to just quiet, quiet yourself down and just say, just close your eyes. You can just close your eyes right now and just say, I am his. I am enough. Let's just take a moment right now.
You know, when people ask my son who he is, I want him with confidence to just be like, well, that's my dad. He's only this tall, so he'd be pointing up. But that's my dad. I'm his, I'm his boy. He's my rock and roll brother. I'm his. Just like when people ask you, or you start wrestling with your identity, asking yourself, fighting in your head. I fight in my head with myself all the time. And, and he's like, well, who are you? Who do you think you are? It's like, well, do you know what? That's my father. I belong to his family. I belong in the family of the creator of the universe because he adopted me because it brought him great pleasure and he made me without, without fault in his eyes. I'm his. You may be in the room right now and this conversation may leave a kind of a pit in your stomach because you've never felt like you've belonged to anything before. Maybe your childhood was unimaginable. You never experienced what, what a, a daddy was. You may have marriages that have fallen apart, broken relationships time and time again. This is where you belong. This is for you. Jesus loves you. The creator of the universe wants to adopt you in his family and call you his own. It says right here that this is through the power by through Jesus Christ that this happens. Now Grace and I'm sorry James talked about it a little bit ago when we were doing communion about you know, none of us measure up for a relationship with God. I don't, you don't, none of us do. We can try all we want, but that's what we're trying not to do. But we don't measure up. But through Jesus, we do. And that's the only way that we do. And if you're here right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're really confused about where this peace comes from, he is where it comes from. This peace that we can have in our minds to get rid of all this anxiety, it comes from a relationship with Jesus. That's what you're missing. And it's, it's, it's simple. Again, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You just say, okay, God, I, this isn't working on my own. I'm anxious all the time. I always feel like I'm not measuring up. I just, I have to do more. I need more. I need more. I need more. It's just not working. I'm tired of this. Just say, God, I give you control. I give you control. Jesus, make me blameless in your sight. I'm not good enough, but you are, and through you I am. And I want to commit my heart to you in that way. You may be here and that's you. Jesus loves you. You know, we talk about baptism a lot around here. Baptism is, it's a picture, it's a symbol of really identifying with Christ in his, in his death and his resurrection. When you go down under the water, you're identifying with Jesus' death. You come back up, identifying with his resurrection. It's really a first step in following Jesus is getting baptized because it's you saying, you're coming out of the water, you're soaking wet, and you're like, you know what, that's my dad. This is my identity. This is where my identity is found. It's a public declaration of this is who I am. 
And if you're here and you've never been baptized before and you want to, we've got a team back in the back that would love to talk with you, to pray with you. We've got shirts, shorts, towels, anything else that you might need in order to make that happen today. But we want, we want you to, to be able to do that. And so we're, gonna, we're actually going to sing a song here in just a second. And before we do, I want to, um, or when we stand to sing, and that's you, you're wanting to get baptized, I want you to go back to the back and meet with the team that's back there, and they'll get you all ready. But before we, read the, or before we sing this song, I just want to read the lyrics to you. We've sang this song a few times over the last couple of weeks, and just make this, make this song as we're singing it and as we're listening to it for just a second. Make this your prayer today. In the chaos, you are the peace. In my suffering, you're here with me. In the darkness, you never leave. God of mercy, you're walking with me. I surrender anxiety. All the striving has to cease. In this moment, you're still the king. This is the gift you're giving to me. A sound mind for the spirit of fear. A sound mind so that I can see clearly. A sound mind, your spirit is here. A sound mind, a sound mind. There's a table where we meet in the presence of my enemies. I will listen, I will feast on every word you are speaking to me. I remember who you are. You're my fortress and my God. I will stand in authority. In Jesus' name, all this darkness will flee. You saved, healed, delivered me. Jesus' blood wash over me. Command my soul, awake, arise. Use each breath to prophesy. God wants to bring us peace in our minds, peace in our identity, peace in who we are and who he calls us. I am enough. I am his. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, if you're wanting to get baptized this morning, you can head back to the back and the team will be back there with you. But just, just sing this song. Make this your prayer this morning as, a, as the team leads us through this.